listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and reflections with others who are listening and following along. Let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 228, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 6, Paragraphs 396 to 403. 396. I cannot worthily express all the thoughts and affections of the Mistress of the World in this, her departure from Nazareth, her prayers and petitions to the Eternal Father, her most sweet and sorrowful conversations with her Divine Son, the greatness of her grief and the vastness of her merits. For on account of the conflict between the love of a true mother, by which she naturally desired to preserve him from the terrible torments and the conformity of her will with that of Jesus and of his eternal Father, her heart was pierced by the sword of sorrow, prophesied by Simeon, Luke 2.35. In her affliction she complained to her divine Son in words of deepest prudence and wisdom, yet also of sweetest sorrow, that she should be unable to prevent his sufferings, or at least die with him. These sorrows of the mother of God exceeded the sufferings of all the martyrs who have died, or will die for love of God to the end of the world. In such a state of mind and affection, the sovereigns of the world pursued their way from Nazareth toward Jerusalem through Galilee, which the Savior was not to revisit in this life. As the end of his labors for the salvation of men drew to a close, His miraculous works increased in number, and as the sacred writers of the Gospels relate, they became especially numerous in the last months, intervening between his departure from Galilee and the day of his entrance into Jerusalem, until the day after having celebrated the Feast of the Pasch of the Tabernacles. The Savior traveled about and labored in Judea, awaiting the appointed time when, according to his will, he was to offer himself in sacrifice. 397. During these journeyings, his Most Holy Mother accompanied him, except on a few occasions, when they separated in order to attend to the welfare of souls in different localities. On such errands, St. John was deputed to accompany her and administer to her wants. From that time on, St. John received most exalted enlightenments in regards to the great mysteries and hidden sacraments of the Most Pure Virgin and Mother. Among the wonders wrought by the most prudent and powerful queen at this time were those of most exalted flights of charity in procuring by her petitions and prayers the justification of souls. For also she, 
Just as her Most Holy Son now began to be more lavish in her blessed benefactions to mankind, bringing many to the path of eternal life, curing the sick, visiting the poor and the afflicted, the destitute and the infirm, assisting the dying with her own hands, especially those that were most forsaken and afflicted with greater suffering and pain. Of all these works in his special office of attending upon the Blessed Mother, the beloved disciple was a witness. But as the force of her love at the prospect of seeing her divine son leave her to return to his eternal father had now increased a thousandfold, the Blessed Mother had such a yearning desire of being in his presence that she often swooned away in ecstasies of love and affection whenever she was obliged to endure his absence for any length of time. The Divine Master, on his part, who, as God knew all that passed in the heart of his beloved mother, faithfully corresponded with her feelings, speaking to her those words which were now fulfilled to the letter, Thou hast wounded my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast wounded my heart with one of thy eyes. For as if wounded and overcome by his own love, he was drawn again to her presence. According to what has been made known to me, Christ our Lord, in as far as he was man, could not ever have left the presence of his mother, if he had given full sway to his love for a mother, who loved him so much. Hence it was natural that he should hasten to relieve and console her by his presence and intercourse. The beauty of the most pure soul of his mother refreshed him, and made all his labors and hardships appear sweet to him. He looked upon her as the choice and only fruit of all his exertions, and the mere presence of Mary repaid him for all his bodily sufferings. 398. Our Savior continued to perform his miracles in Judea. Among them was also the resurrection of Lazarus in Bethany, whither he had been called by the two sisters Martha and Mary. As this miracle took place so near to Jerusalem, the report of it was soon spread throughout the city. The priests and Pharisees, being irritated by this miracle, held a council, John 9:17, in which they resolved upon the death of the Redeemer and commanded all those that had any knowledge of his whereabouts to make it known. For after the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus retired to the town of Ephraim until the proximate feast of the Pasch should arrive. As the time of celebrating it by his own death drew nigh, he showed himself more openly with his twelve disciples, the apostles, and he told them privately that they should now get themselves ready to go to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man, he himself, should be delivered over to the chiefs of the Pharisees, bound as a prisoner, scourged and ill-treated unto death of the cross. Matthew twenty eighteen. In the meanwhile, the priests kept a sharp watch to find him among those who came to celebrate the Pasch. Six days previous, he had again visited Bethany, where he had called Lazarus to life and where he was entertained by the two sisters. They arranged a banquet for the Lord and his mother and for all of his company. Among those that were at table with them was also Lazarus, whom he had brought back to life a few days before. 399. While our Savior, according to the custom of the Jews, was reclining at this banquet, Magdalene, filled with divine enlightening and most magnanimous sentiments, entered the banquet hall. As an outward token of her ardent love toward Christ, her divine master, she anointed his feet and poured out over them and over his head an alabaster vase filled with the most fragrant and precious liquor, composed of spikenard and other aromatic ingredients. Then she wiped his feet with her hair just as she had done at another occasion in the house of the Pharisee, related by St. Luke, Luke 7, 38. 
Although the other three evangelists in relating this second anointment apparently differ as to some of the circumstances, yet I was not informed that they refer to different anointments or speak of more than one woman, but they refer only to Magdalene, who is moved to these acts of devotion by inspiration of the Holy Ghost and by her own burning love toward Christ the Redeemer. The fragrance of this ointment filled the whole house, for she had procured a large quantity of the most precious kind, nor did she stint it in any way, but broke the vessel in token of her generous love and devotion to the Master. The avaricious apostle Judas, who wished to get possession of the ointment in order to sell it for the increase of his purse, began to criticize this mysterious anointing of his master, and also to stir up some of the other apostles under pretext of poverty and of charity toward the poor. John twelve five. These, he said, are defrauded of their alms by this lavish expense and waste of so costly an article. At the same time, all this had been ordained by divine providence, while Judas acted only as an avaricious and disgruntled hypocrite. 400. The teacher of truth and life defended the Magdalene against this accusation of inconsiderate prodigality. He commanded Judas and the others not to molest her, Matthew 24.10, since her actions had not been vain or without good cause. He told them the poor would not on that account lose the alms which they should receive each day whereas such opportunity of showing honor to his person would not be afforded every day, that the anointment had been performed by this generous and loving woman through enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, and as a prophetic announcement of the mysterious unction of the Savior was so soon to undergo in the torments of his death and at his burial. Nothing of all this the perfidious disciple took to heart, but on the contrary he conceived a furious wrath against his master on account of his thus justifying the action of the Magdalene. Lucifer, profiting by the disposition of this depraved heart, incited it to new upwellings of avarice, anger, and mortal hate against the author of life. Thenceforth, Judas schemed to bring about his death, and resolved as soon as he should come to Jerusalem to betray him to the Pharisees, and help to discredit him in their eyes, as he afterwards did. After this banquet, he betook himself secretly to Jerusalem and told them that his master taught new laws contrary to those of Moses and of the emperors, that he was addicted to banqueting, a friend of the depraved and profane company, that he had admitted as his followers many of a wicked life, both men and women, that without delay they should see such conduct stopped lest ruin overtake them when it was too late to secure relief. As the Pharisees were already of the same mind and were instigated by the same prince of darkness, they gladly accepted his advice. With them, therefore, he agreed on a price for the betrayal of Christ, our Savior. 401. All the thoughts of Judas lay open not only to his divine master, but also to his most blessed mother. The Lord said nothing to Judas in regard to this matter, but continued to deal with him as a kind father and to enlighten his obstinate heart. His mother, however, redoubled her admonitions and gentle endeavors to withdraw Judas from the precipice, and on this night of the banquet, which was that preceding Palm Sunday, she called him aside to speak to him alone, representing to him amid a flood of tears and with those sweet and persuasive words what terrible danger threatened him if he should persist in his intentions. She asked him to give up his designs, and if he was offended at his master— to take vengeance on her. 
For this was a smaller evil, since she was only a creature, while he was his master and the true God. In order to satisfy the avarice of this insatiable heart, she offered him some presents, which she had received for this purpose from the Magdalene. But none of her efforts were of any avail with this hardened soul. Nor did any of these sweet and living words soften this more than the adamantine heart. On the contrary, as he did not find an answer, and the exhortations of the most prudent queen were so urgent, he lashed himself into greater fury, showing his wrath by a sullen silence. He was, however, not ashamed to take what she offered to him, for his avarice was equal to his perfidy. The most blessed Mary then left him and betook herself to her son and master. Full of the bitterest sorrow, she cast herself weeping on his feet. In her exquisite grief and compassion, she wished to bring some consolation to the sacred humanity of Christ her Son, whom she now beheld suffering of the sorrow unto death, which she afterwards manifests in the presence of his disciples. Matthew twenty four thirty eight. Of this kind were the sufferings of Christ for the sins of those men who were to misapply his passion and death, as I shall relate farther on. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven Most Holy Mary gave me. 402. My daughter, thou daily understandest and declarest more fully in this history that my son and I with him in our ardent love embrace the way of the cross in suffering for the whole course of our natural life. Thou receivest this knowledge more fully, and hearest this doctrine repeated so often, that thou must strive to follow it closely in thy daily life. This duty grows upon thee from the day in which my son has chosen thee as bride, and will oblige thee more and more so that thou canst not evade the duty of embracing and loving hardships, to such an extent that thy greatest pain shall to be to be without them. Renew every day this desire in thy heart, for I wish thee to be very proficient in this science, which the world abhors so much. But remember at the same time that God does not afflict creatures merely for the sake of afflicting them, but in order to make them more capable and worthy of receiving the blessings and treasures prepared for them, beyond all human conception. 1 Corinthians 2.9 For the confirmation of this truth, and as a pledge of his promises, he permitted the transfiguration of himself on Mount Tabor in my presence, and that of some of the disciples, and the prayer which he then made to the Eternal Father, and which I alone knew of and understood, he humbled himself before his Father, confessing him, as he always did in his prayers, as the true God, infinite in his perfections and attributes, and besought him to concede a share of the glory of his own body to all those who in their mortal body should afflict themselves and bear hardships for his love and an imitation of his own, and to grant this glory in the measure proper to each after the resurrection of their bodies in the final judgment. Since the Eternal Father granted this request, there is a certain contract between God and man. The glory which was given to the body of Christ the Savior was a pledge of that which Christ was to secure for all his followers. Great, therefore, is the value of the momentary hardships endured in the privation of earthly delights and in mortifications and sufferings for the sake of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17 403 On account of the merits of this prayer of Christ, this glory which belongs to him is due to the creature's injustice, since men are the members of Christ's mystical body. 2 Timothy 4.8 Yet this union with Christ, by which man merits such reward, must be brought about by grace and by imitation the same suffering which merited it for the Redeemer. If all bodily suffering merits its crown, a much greater crown is merited by the patient endurance and pardoning of injuries, 
and by returning good for them. As we acted in regard to Judas, for the Lord did not only not take away from Judas his apostolate or show himself in any way irritated against him, but he patiently bore with him to the very end when Judas had already made himself altogether unfit for any graces by giving himself up to the devil. During our mortal life, the Lord is very slow in visiting his vengeance upon us, but he will make up for his slowness in the severity of his punishments after death. If then God suffers and bears with us so much, how much must one poor worm of the earth bear with another, since both are of the same nature and condition? By the light of this truth and by the charity of the Lord and spouse, thou must regulate the amount of thy patience and long-suffering with others, and the zeal for their salvation. I do not say that thou must therefore permit what is against the honor of God, for that would not be a true zeal for the good of thy neighbor. But thou must love them as creatures of the Lord, and of poor sin. Thou must suffer and ignore whatever is done against thee, always seeking as far as in thee lies the salvation of others. Do not lose heart when thou seest no immediate fruit, but continue to present to the Eternal Father the merits of my Most Holy Son, my intercession, and that of the saints and angels. For as God is charity, and as they are the ministers of the Most High, they will gladly make use of this same charity for the benefit of those who are still on their pilgrimage. This concludes our reading today for day number 228. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 6, Paragraphs 396 to 403. In the public ministry of Jesus, there came a few points at this very end where Mary and Jesus, Mary who was accompanying him, that she left his company in order to attend to someone else who was in greater need. And when Mary would leave the group, Jesus entrusted her to the care of St. John. John followed her. John went with her. It's no surprise then that John stayed with Mary then during the Passion. And as Jesus already was entrusting Mary to the care of John, it's no surprise that from the cross, Jesus says, Woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took Mary into his home because he already was practicing it almost in anticipation. Just as we heard that beautiful prophecy of the Magdalene and how she anointed the body of Jesus and how that anointing was only a preparation for that anointing of his body after his death. That all of these things kind of foreshadow what is to come. And Mary Magdalene, she anoints the body of Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And because of her burning love toward Christ the Redeemer. What is the Holy Spirit inspiring you to do for God? And what is the Holy Spirit inspiring you to do for God out of love for God? Ask the Holy Spirit today. How are you calling me? How are you prompting me? How can I be like Mary Magdalene and do something great for you today, O Lord? Mary also has a great concern for Judas. We've sensed that in some of our readings of the recent days. And again, Mary, with this knowledge of what is to come, pulls Judas aside and really gives him a motherly talk, encouraging him really to as she says, don't do what you want to do. Open your heart to the gift and the graces that my son wants to give you. Don't turn away from them. 
And so she's giving that motherly love and counsel and advice to Judas. But yet his heart was hardened and he could not receive the good because of how he was already disposed to the evil one. And for Maria of Agreda, she was told in the instruction by Our Lady to renew every day this desire in your heart. Renew every day this desire to love God, to know God, to serve God. Renew that desire every day. Yesterday I talked about the morning offering. And really that's one of the ways that we renew the desire of our heart to offer sacrifice to God. And so what desire do you wish to renew in your own heart today so that you might love God and serve God and do as he asks of you? And finally, as we talk about Judas, in the instruction we're told that Jesus bore patiently with him. Maybe we should meditate and reflect on Jesus' patience with us. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.